So oh, one thing you're going to have to do, Robbie, we have a new persona, I think is the way to say it. Persona? Yeah, for, um, at Ironworks called Announcement Man. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> in no way, in no way related to Rob Maddox. Let this be clear. There's no relation to Rob Maddox at all. You've never seen me in the same room with Announcement Man. I'm just saying that. So, um, but Announcement Man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, welcome everyone to Ironcast. We are in uh, a great moment right now um, with a guest from Ironworks Westchester. So this is a, uh, I don't know if we want to call it baby church. Uh, what, what do we want to call Ironworks <laughs> Westchester, Robbie? Doing... You're a church plant. Church plant. Not yet particularized, could that I works. say? Okay. A so, wild west. Wild. That's it. I love that. Wild West. Shana, and you're the one that wanted to have Robbie on here. I was totally against it, but you were like, let's do it. Well, Robbie, we were we were privileged to be under your leadership uh, along with Darren uh, when the when the pandemic first hit. Um, so we're connected. We're connected with you guys, right? You guys are like a sister church, right? Like, right. is that right. right? And so we got to hear we've and we've we as a as the Phoenixville congregation got to hear your preaching in the past, um, but we got to hear a lot more of it. And so I thought it'd be cool if we could have you on here and just you know hear more about you and um, yeah, just kind of pick your brain a little bit. Yeah. So if if you were playing rock paper scissors, what's your go to, Robbie? Just got to get that out of the way. <laughs> It's all in spur of the moment. So if we were to play it right now, we'd have to just roll oh. the dice and wait and see. Spontaneous, uh, spontaneity. That's good. Yes, yes. Good well, Shane, <laughs> Shane is the rock to my scissors. She's always got the, uh, hey, got the families loud and crazy. In <laughs> Sorry about that, Ironworks. <laughs> Welcome to the pandemic. Yes. <laughs> this is normal. This sure. is normal. From so. home. Hashtag work from home. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what I was saying is that Shana has great and exciting things to say, and I know she's excited about the things uh, that that you're going to drop on us, mind blowing us, uh, everything that's going to happen in these next few moments. Um, so I've been, in, I've enjoyed our relationship. I remember coming out to see you in Westchester. You took me to this swanky yoga coffee joint. What was it called? Local yoga. It's now closed. It's now. I know. That's yeah. But we did have some delicious uh, yogurt. Um, the acai bowl. There we are. Mm. I, I'm trying to get millennial here, but um, we got two millennials <laughs> and Gen X uh, here, so this should be exciting. Yeah. Shane, I'm going to let you kick us off with the questions. And, and Robbie said, hey, he's willing to talk about things that most people skirt around. So let's. Yeah. Let's well, uh, Robbie, I sent you a list of questions, but um, yeah. I would, you know, these are really a mere framework um, and the conversation can drift away from these, you know, however we would like. So, um, but yeah, I'll start with um, just so we can get to know you a little bit more. Uh, the question I sent you was from the little bit I know of you, you seem dedicated to creativity and culture. You define yourself as an extrovert. You can paint, you read a lot. Uh, you're an athlete, uh, or at least you were in high school. You mentioned high school basketball at one point. Uh, you actively listen to podcasts, and you engage in meaningful discussion, both in real life and in social media. So tell us more about any of that, more, more about you, anything that makes you tick. 
Yeah, there's a lot in there, and those are really kind of things um, or kind of impressions that you have of me. So, like, I'm an ambivert. I I do enjoy uh, people, but I desperately need my own personal downtime. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it's like a nice little balance of both worlds. And uh, as I have gotten older, I have actually lost more of my extroversion. Mm-hmm. And so, as some people say, you're not a true extra extrovert. I'm like, well, maybe I'm just getting older. Um, so, but yeah, I, like, I truly, I, people do energize me, but I do need my own rhythm of solitude Mm. by myself. So, and yeah, I did play basketball in high school, played soccer. And, uh, but when I went to college, uh, those fell by the wayside and I picked up ultimate Frisbee. And (laughs) so that's what you do in college. Uh, you study and play ultimate Frisbee and that's just what we dove into and even uh, during uh, seminary we would have ultimate frisbee on tuesday afternoons at a nearby park after our classes mm-hmm. so yeah. that kind of stuck with me and that has not stuck with me since mm. i could imagine you would be lethal in that because you have such a reach yeah so <laughs> um this like probably one of my best evangelism stories uh is i literally ran over somebody during uh <laughs> Frisbee. And uh, this person was one of my classmates, Carolyn. Um, and uh, because of, literally I ran right over her because I could not see her when I was standing <laughs> up. She was like at my elbow. And so because I ran over uh, Carolyn, her brother uh, started coming into my church. Her sister started coming to my church. And I uh, literally, it's all because I ran over her during alternate frisbee. So um, it is a little lethal. I could be right. lethal at least, I suppose. But yeah, so like, uh, yeah, so like I do enjoy, and especially now with having a, a son who is a three and a half year old, I like, I'll throw him in the bike trailer and go on a bike ride with him. Or, well, he and I, well, pre COVID, we would go on a, we'd go on trips to the YMCA and we would just run laps and, that's how I would tire him out and enjoy the quiet afternoon. So, <laughs> but I forget what that's like these days. Yeah. Well, you mentioned college. Um, so, yes. um, kind of along, along the same vein of getting to know you, uh, where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? You mentioned just a moment ago that you used to teach. So where were you before, I guess, education wise and growing up and career? Yeah. So I, I grew up in the Midwest and the lovely state of Iowa. I, I had cornfields as my next door neighbor for my house. <laughs> truly for miles. And so we, my family moved uh, from Iowa to Western PA. Uh, my father was a pastor. Uh, and so we, he took a new call here and I just have stuck in Pennsylvania ever since. Mm. And, but so I went to Grove city college, uh, which is in Western PA. I graduated with a degree in biblical and religious studies. That's what it's now called. It was called Christian thought which is like a, the most intellectual and snooty name of a degree I have ever heard of. I love it. And <laughs> yeah. And then after that, I, after I graduated from college, I took a job uh, teaching at a, a Christian school in the Eastern suburbs of Pittsburgh. And I taught there for four years. And during my time there, I just started taking classes at seminary part-time mm. and then made the decision to dive right on in full time to seminary. And after I graduated, took a, I uh, was, took a call at a church, a church plant in Pittsburgh. And that was 2013. Yeah. So that's kind of a little bit of my resume, so to speak. 
which seminary was it again? So it's a super small one. Uh, hardly anyone has ever heard of it, and that's okay, but it's called the Reformed Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Is it in Canada? It's in Pittsburgh. Oh, okay. So I, I graduated with, like, their entire graduating class was, I believe, 20-some. So it's a small wow. seminary. Yeah. You, you taught like what, what age group uh, did you teach and did you teach Bible because your background was in Bible? Yeah. So I taught uh, ninth graders and 11th and 12th graders. Uh, so I had a myriad of subjects. I did have uh, high school doctrine, apologetics, church history, but I also had American government and ancient history. That's so a lot. it was, yes, it was a lot. And uh, so that's just dive right on in there. So <laughs> Yeah, I like to push people into the deep end of the pool. So we're just going to So just to point out this metaphor, I'm a tall person. So the deep end <laughs> has to be really deep. Okay, okay. you asked for it. That's it. <laughs> I, I, I did. I did. What's the metaphor? All right. So um, and I, it's Shana's question, so I'm not going to pretend like I have great questions. But um, what is the most pressing issue the church is facing right now in the world well in the world i i can only talk about from like this cheap seats of western uh of not even western but I felt like from I needed, westchester deep, you know i needed to say world just to make it feel like it was the deep end anyway yeah whatever you can speak to it's hard to like, really just like f focus on just one mm -hmm. um but like if like i think it, there's this ultimate question of identity that stems like, hey, who are we? Uh, what's our union with Christ? How do we express this in terms of our ethnic heritage and cultural uh, diversity of our um, uh, of our Americanness of mm -hmm. our and like and this even touches into the our sexual identity as well. Mm -hmm. So it all comes down to I think um, into uh, in terms of our identity um, mm -hmm. because that just goes to so many different things and we. Um, have a, a lot of our uh, discussions and divisions within the church um, tend to do with just our la the language that we use uh, revolving around identity. So I think that might just be one of our challenges because um, that just touches on race, touches mm -hmm. on sexuality, talks about like even uh, what's it mean to be a Christian in America right now. So you kind of hit boom, boom, boom. So, or are there some identity labels that are dead or needing revived or I'd have to spend uh, some more time thinking about that very specific, uh, uh, just question. But the, the, the reality is language changes, language evolves. Like just take the question of race right now. Um, mm -hmm. and so like, like it's one thing to say, Hey, white supremacy and like, well, white supremacy has a very specific uh, image within the story of American history. And mm -hmm. that's, uh, the KKK burning, uh, mm -hmm. crosses, um, wearing white funky outfits mm -hmm. and, um, erecting like monuments. Um, like, so there's a lot of things, uh, and, and the, then the Confederate flag. So like when we talk about white supremacy, like, there's a lot of images there. And then the, the conversation around race right now is like, Hey, like down with white supremacy. It's like, that's a very provocative statement. Sure. Um, and so, but it comes down to like, what do you mean by that? And that's just an instance that language is changing. And it's important for us to always pause to listen charitably and be like, Hey, what do you mean by this? Um, where are you getting at here? Um, because, like I, I like provocative, I really do, because I think provocative uh, 
provokes questions in a mm. challenging way, but that also can provoke things in a very abrupt way. And we're not always that abrupt this um, can, can really catch us off guard. So it's not so much like, hey, what, what words are dead? It's more just acknowledging that like words that we have used to express ourselves mm-hmm. are um, don't necessarily mean what everyone thinks they mean. Mm-hmm. And so we need to slow down and make sure we are talking to each other and not past each other. Yeah. And uh, the unity of the church, um, yeah. the unity of our mission, those are the things at stake. So, yeah. Well, then maybe... I'm putting you on the spot on, on this same coin, but the other side, uh, what would you want to add um, descriptions, descriptives of our identity? What do we need to take on right now as the church should be mm-hmm. um, as part of our identity? Yeah. Well, so like we're creating the image of God. Um, and that's a beautiful thing. And so like, what's that mean? And so like, as we, you just lean into being created in the image of God, that that's, there's, um, the only person that perfectly, um, imaged God was Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, he is the image of the invisible God is what we're told. Um, I don't, you don't, no one else does. Um, and yet we're, we're given that beautiful and we're dignified with that beautiful title that we are God's image bearers. And so like one of the questions that I enjoy asking people like and this is it's really used as a preface to our membership interviews i was just like hey do you believe that you were created in the image of god uh, created to mm. uh love and serve him um all, all your days and it's an imitation uh of really of our catechism just like uh, mm. what is the chief end of man well man's chief end is to glorify god and to enjoy him forever so like i, I think on one hand is just like diving into the doctrine of being created in the image of god uh, that would be really super helpful mm-hmm. um and then secondly um another aspect to this um and this is pretty well done within reformed theology um and just thinking about our adoption as being sons and daughters of, of god um, and, but that is a benefit of being united to Christ. So right there's really one, two, and three being image bearers, being united to Christ, and then also connected to that being sons and daughters. Mm-hmm. Um, and, if, and if, when we listen to, uh, truly, um, when we think about this and as I listen to people of color, as they talk about being created in the image of God, there's something to say about, uh, acknowledging our, the, um, ethnic um, diversity and that's caught up with in there. Um, and so when we think about who we are in Jesus Christ, it's not that Jesus obliterates our personality. As we come to know Christ, um, we are able to uh, show off who he is more truly because of whom God has uniquely uniquely made us to be. And that's something that um it actually means when I think about that is like, there's a beautiful joy in worship. For example, when we think about um, music that uh, comes from Africa, or when we think about the uh, laments and crying out for justice, there's something beautiful coming from um, the Negro spirituals um, turned to 19th century and so on. Um, and kind of keep going um, there for a bit. Why are we not diverse as a body of Christ in this part of Pennsylvania. I can't speak to the whole nation, but why are we still, even Lecrae, you know, uh, I love me some Lecrae uh, rap. And and so, you know, he would say still that it's the most segregated 
time of the week is on a Sunday morning. So is it because we're racist or is it because of style or why would you postulate here that we are so segregated on a Sunday morning? There could be a lot of different answers there. Um, and like, and like Lecrae is coming from Atlanta, Leon's Crump is his pastor, um, renovation church. Um, so, but very specifically like, and so like, he's like, uh, quoting uh martin luther king jr um and so but like when i think about this and i've thought about this is that someone has pointed out that like hey in the south like people in the north look at the south and be like hey that's the place of racism um mm-hmm. however you go to the south and you see um integration all over the place you see cultural diversity all over the place um as when i've gone to churches in the south i've seen good uh, multi-ethnic representation up here in the north i don't Mm-hmm. Um, so part of that means is that from a Northern perspective, we think about this as a Southern problem, as opposed to owning it as our problem. Um, so that's one aspect, but then, uh, there's another aspect here that's just like, um, the church in Christ is diverse. We have people of every tribe and tongue. Um, but so the question is, why don't we see this within our own congregations? Mm-hmm. And so part of that is even realizing and understanding, um, why, um, the black church, why the Korean church, why do ethnic specific congregations exist? Mm-hmm. Um, and Hey, we do see these within, uh, we see white churches exist. Um, there's a lot of Presbyterian churches that are white ch- congregations. Um, but like, so very specifically, like even like in history, the black church was started here in Philadelphia. Uh, Roland Allen, um, uh, was the black community was forced to sit up in a balcony and he said, Hey, we're not going to do this. And he started his own denomination, African Methodist Episcopal Church. That's here in Philly. Um, Again, this kind of gets at, this is a Northern problem, not necessarily a Southern problem. This is an American problem. But so what that kind of gets at, the reason why Roland did that, and that has continued to exist for the past 230 years, 225 years, is because like there's a, that black people, Korean people, um, people of their very specific ethnic heritage, heritage, um, that's the place where they can feel themselves the most. Mm-hmm. And that's said universally. Um, I haven't read a, uh, a black person or an Asian person say anything different. Um, so that this is why within even like the, the Korean church, the largest Presbyterian churches in Korea. The Korean churches have a lot of similarities to Presbyterian churches and why in the PCA we have, I think, 600 some Korean pastors. And within the PCA, like a lot of these Korean churches start out as Korean churches. And then their kids uh, grow up in the English ministry. Um, and, but these churches, like everything's done in Korean. Um, and that's because this is part of their culture that they've held on to and so but very specifically it's a place where they are uh free uh, to be themselves before christ and that's not something to dismiss um Mm -hmm. and so whenever we think about this multicultural multi-ethnic we it requires us to have a lot of humility um really to listen and to say hey what's um what is uh, essential, <laughs> not, um, not, not essential is the wrong word. Um, like what, what aspects of my cultural heritage create barriers 
And am I aware of how my cultural heritage is creating a barrier? Just like, for example, like my mother is from Britain and uh, like, just to be very personal about my own family, um, like my, my grandfather, he never said, I loved you uh, to my mom as she was growing up. Um, so just think about that Victorian sensibilities when it comes to the, the uh, public display of affection. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, well, that's a very Brit thing to do when you keep your emotions to yourself or you're very reserved. But at the same time, um, there's a lot of cultures that are much more emo- emotionally expressive. And that aspect can actually just cr- honestly create a barrier to um, hearing the gospel. So, so a lot of this just um, like part of this specifically means like, are we um, cult- culturally aware as to what our culture is and how that uh, creates barriers. Uh, I think that's a huge part of it. So there's a lot there, Rob. So <laughs> so Robbie, like to kind of go deeper and like more specifically, uh, one of my questions was, uh, what exhortation can you offer to the church in the wake of our nation's recent tragedies? So we're talking about um, the murders of Ahmad Arbery, uh, mm-hmm. Brianna Taylor, George Floyd, right? I believe George Floyd's funeral was just this past Saturday, you know, and and also you know the resultant tragedies, you know, the the rioting, the looting. Um, what do you think Christ wants for His church at this time? Um, how can the church? be serving African-American Christians um, or even, you know, African-Americans who are not necessarily Christian. Um, What's the church's responsibility right now? And yeah, what do you think? The reality is uh, we're in the midst of a transition culturally and even Mm -hmm. as a church. And this is why I said on Sunday. Um, So just be think most recently as to why I said to my own church, but very specifically, we're in a transition. And when you think about transitions throughout all of scripture, Abraham leaving Ur, Israel being in Egypt and leaving Mm -hmm. Egypt, entering the promised lands, the death of Moses going to Joshua, um, and even the restoration of of Peter or Matthew leaving his vocation as a tax collector. Like these are all transitions, but whenever we find ourselves in a transition, um, uh, transitions are necessary to move us forward. And so part of this question is like, what is the Lord doing in our midst? And that is one of the hardest questions that we, we can even possibly ask um, and discern. And because what we do as people, um, sinfully, um, um, it doesn't even have to be connected to spiritual things, but like we resist transitions. Like some, you'll hear this, some people say, hey, I don't like change. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm risk averse, things like this. But like when it comes to um, a government mandate to say, hey, you can't work right now. Um, that itself is pent up frustration and and anger. And so what we do with transitions, especially in this moment is that we, uh, fight it, we deny it, we dismiss it, or perhaps, uh, we just rush through it where it's like, Hey, I just want to get back to work. Uh, let's do this. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like using the um, pandemic as a backdrop to this, is that like, we're and we're oh, we were already in the midst of a transition uh, with the coronavirus. 
And what we see right now um, with the um, awful deaths of Armand Arbery, which actually happened a month before lockdown. Right. That happened in February. Yeah. Um, then Brianna Taylor a few uh, weeks ago. Um, I forget the specific date then George Floyd almost two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. But like when we string these events together, it's just like there is a pretty clear narrative um, that has been um, that's we've been told by um, African-Americans um, in America for years that there is um, violence being done against them mm -hmm. and there's racial injustice. And the big difference um, between 2020 and 2013 is that these are caught on video. Um, yes. So like we're like, they're inescapable. And so um, to kind of quote William Wilberforce, he's like, Hey, um, it's one thing to say, you don't know, but once you know, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> and, and so like, so in this question, it's like, um, okay, there's racial injustice. Hmm. Like, can we just, can you just admit that? And mm -hmm. um, now there's like of what kind and what variety and what sectors that's separate, but can we talk just on, like, Hey, over, can you see the legitimacy right. of the statement? There is racial injustice. Right. And if so, then it's just like, we need to lean into um, championing uh, racial justice, racial unity, uh, racial representation and racial reconciliation. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I recognize that like uh, there's <laughs> like reconciliation very specifically. That's a calling that we have in Christ that mm. in Ephesians two that Christ destroyed the wall of separation and he reconciled us to God and in doing so he reconciled us to each other. So we live that out. So, mm -hmm. so and like, just to kind of like pull it all together because there's so much going on is that we need to lean into this transition and, and truly uh, champion justice. And so like really the um, verse Micah 6, 8 is um, a good summary for where we need to be right now, uh, where we are called to do justice, love, mercy, and walk humbly with our God. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I'm wondering if you were to, and this is, you know, a bit hubris and, uh, you know, just, uh, um, you know, almost like, hey, white people, let's shut up and let's just listen right now. But. If you were to talk to with some uh, black leaders and, you know, you, you know, you know, we just heard Michael Jordan's given a hundred million dollars away to fight injustice. What would you tell them they need to do with that $100 million? Oh my word. That is hubris on my part. Um, I would honestly ask black guys, Hey, where do you guys think this money should go to? Um, and, um, yeah, but you're, like, you're a white guy, you know, you know, the system, you know, yeah. how things work. Well, if maybe. you wanted to infiltrate the white system of power, how would you, how would you do that? How would you become insidious with a hundred million dollars? A hundred million dollars. Um, like I really, like I've, I'm personally learning a lot from the work of Brian Stevenson on equal justice initiative. Um, He's a, that's one organization I would recommend. He wrote the book, Just Mercy. Um, it's available mm -hmm. on Amazon Prime right now for you to rent and watch. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, I just watched it. I was I wanted to be thankful that he got off death row, but I was really angry, like, he shouldn't have been there in the first place. Like, this right. was a joke. Yeah, um, and, like, there's a 14-year-old who received the death penalty, to, um, like, I think 60-some years ago today um, via the electric chair, and he was proven innocent. 
Mm. And he was 14. It's like, so, um, so like that would be one organization. Um, and that I, I just know I'm personally learning a lot from, and they're doing good work providing, um, legal counsel to people who desperately need it and who are poor. Um, so that's one good organization that I'm thankful is receiving the spotlight right now. And it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because that's where my mind went is to lawyers. Like I, I almost feel like he should say, we need 300 lawyers in DC. I'm paying yeah. for your, your law school and just get into DC and start making some rules mm-hmm. because yeah. if I'm black, I'm hopeless. I'm like, I'm like, you know, it's white people are making the rules. Um, so I don't, why should I even like try, you know, right. it, it, it just comes down to who makes the rules. So if we, have a lot of black lawyers and we have new people making rules with a different perspective. Um, you know, it becomes a different game, mm-hmm. but well, I just want the to other, back on that. Yeah. The other, um, um, uh, fascinating thing, intriguing thing, thankful. This is something I'm thankful for is Brian Stevenson. He's a, he's a man of Christ. And like, for example, he was on a Bible study this morning with John Perkins and John Perkins turns 90 this year. And he's been, um, fighting the work of racial reconciliation for 90, um, since I think he was since like 1945. Um, wow. and so, but very specifically in the, and he was sharing a little, a little story that Brian Stevenson was part of a team that, um, uh, made like 40 pages of recommendations for, uh, law enforcement for criminal justice reform. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the guy knows what he's talking about. Um, and, I just love that he was doing a Bible study with John Perkins at hmm. six thirty. I went to uh, mission training in uh, inner city Chicago, and um, we our presenters were uh, African American pastors. Mm-hmm. And the takeaway was: don't come here and do urban ministry and plant a church. Come here and serve under a black pastor. Mm. And I was I was like, yeah, I wasn't thinking that. I was thinking I'm going to come and run the show. Right. Hmm. Well, that's, that's how, um, white evangelicals think. Um, we think about it this way, like, Hey, everyone who knows me well knows I love coffee. And, but the number of times I've been told like, Hey, we should start a coffee shop. I'm like, that's the last thing this community needs. We don't need another coffee shop. Hmm. Um, but so like we need, and so there's this, uh, one Presbyterian minister. Um, he was at Trinity Pres in Charlottesville. Um, Greg Thompson is his name, and Greg, uh, he, he he's he's he was like, hey, we have this pretty great initiative to do, and so he was meeting with a uh, like a borough manager and township managers to be like, hey, what do you think about this plan? And they're like, that's an awful plan. We need X, Y, and Z. And he's like, I never knew we needed those type of things. Mm-hmm. And so like it's, but kind of what they're showing he was showing is that like we have our blind spots even within our community that like our needs are actually our preferences. Like, Hey, our coffee shops are always crowded. Our, I want better coffee. So the, this community needs something nicer. Mm-hmm. Robbie, um, what is, um, what's practical steps? I'm sitting down with you having a cup of coffee and mm-hmm. uh, you're my pastor. And I'm saying, look, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to change anything. And I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm going to go read a book. I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to say hi to my black neighbor and be more respectful, but what else do I do? How do I change it? How do we, how do I be part of the change? Mm-hmm. Like give me practical, coach me, give me some practical steps of what I should do. Yeah. So the obvious is pray. Um, mm-hmm. And like, Hey, that's, that's pretty significant. So like this coming Saturday, um, 
we are organizing a prayer walk with some other churches in Westchester um, to just gather together and then we'll uh, scatter throughout the borough praying. That's so, and like we do that because prayer really reminds us and gives us perspective. Uh, the reality is, um, uh, and this is not an excuse not to labor, um, but justice is not possible the side of glory. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we need to sit, seek God to, for him to have an inbreaking of his kingdom to bring about justice um, and reconciliation. That's huge. That's huge. And it, that we can only start with prayer because otherwise every, anything we do beyond that is um, going to be a pale imitation and it's not going to be true justice. Um, so that's pray, pray, pray. That's huge. Um, but also second, um, I want like, you really actually want to be careful with what book you read <laughs> too. Um, because, and like, um, so whenever you see book lists, you see beginner, intermediate, advanced. And so like, if someone's coming to me and being like, Hey, I want to, I want to, a book on the character of God. And someone says to him, well, check out Stephen Charnock's, the attributes of God, um, which are like probably 2000 pages. Um, <laughs> It's like, that's not what you're going to read. Like you should actually read like, Hey, if you're just starting with this, uh, like, um, maybe J J I Packer, but that's going to be boring. Um, so check out Christian George, if you are a millennial or a Gen Z, um, type thing. So, but like, so if you kind of like buy that premise, um, but you also want to acknowledge that there are a variety of different authors writing about race that are coming from uh, different um, philosophical and theological commitments. Some are Christian, some are non-Christian. Um, so just in light of that, um, there the book that I will endorse wholeheartedly is Heal Us, Emmanuel. Mm-hmm. And it's written by 30 uh, pastors and elders within the PCA. Um, some of them are scholars on race or history. Sean Michael Lucas, who wrote the history of the PCAs in there. Alexander Jun, who's a scholar of race on in, in, within educational structures. But then there's a lot of other white pastors who are sharing their stories of even going back to what you said, Rob, about having a black pastor. Like when was the last time many white folks, myself included, mm-hmm. have actually said I've had a black uh, male authority figure? Mm-hmm. That's an important question to 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 come face to face with, but also to learn um, from others who have actually had the joy of of learning that way. Um, so, like Helos Emanuel is a great book. It's a primer. You have thirty chapters from um, trusted men who share the same theological convictions that we do as as a Presbyterian church. Mm-hmm. And so, then as you're committing yourself to praying, as you're committing yourself to learning, um, then just uh, beginning to um, develop friendships and that takes time. Um, and so like, if you're saying, I'm, I, where do I begin? It's just like, Hey, just acknowledge this is, this is going to take up your lifetime. <laughs> um, and like, and so to quote John Perkins though, um, he says, Hey, we've been intentional. Um, uh, we, ha- we've been intentional as a culture about creating racist structures, and we need to be mm-hmm. personally more intentional about tearing those down within our own lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that means there's going to be a long life of, um, to obedience in a long direction. So it's going to involve confession and repentance. Um, it's, it's a process and journey. So you got to start somewhere. <laughs> and so it's in prayer, it's in learning, but also understanding that this is a, a big thing. Um, 
And those are all great. So I got prayer. I need to go to this prayer walk. Um, I need to read the right thing. And <laughs> yes, the right thing. <laughs> I need to um, uh, make friends and mm. maybe even maybe even find a black authority to sit under and, and to learn from. Mm. Um, what would you say about social media? What I'm, I'm like, what should I do on social media? Anything, nothing? Yeah, um, you might just want to check out social media. Um, it's, social media is hard because no matter what you post, um, it's not read charitably. Um, it's always kind of like read antagonistically. And not only whatever you post, um, like your post in and of itself is not taking um, on its own terms. It's actually always filtered through the comments below. Um, and um, it seems like... Like, so like that, this is my cynical take. Um, and where I'm thinking about this is like, it seems more like a performance as mm -hmm. opposed to like, or as the buzzword is virtue signaling. Um, and, and like that's me being cynical. Virtue signaling? Virtue signaling. What do you so like, oh, it's like, it's just like, Hey, um, uh, like, let me think about that. Um, virtue signaling is basically, um, I just want to let you know, I'm not racist. I'm anti-racist. <laughs> Like, um, and like, Hey, like, uh, like, or you can use, there's so many buzzwords around this conversation and it kind of like comes back to like, Hey, um, like, Hey, are like black ally, hashtag black, black ally. And like, Hey, the call of Christ is for us to take on the form of a servant. And if my people of color, my friends, black friends, Hispanic friends don't, don't love um, think I'm a, their servant, um, then I have no business calling myself an ally. Um, so, but like it's virtue signaling. It's like, um, so that's, that's a cynical read on it. And again, I'm actually, what I'm showing you is that I'm part of the problem here. <laughs> you're asking, cause you're asking like, Hey, um, what about posting on social media? But in my answer here, I'm telling you how I'm going to be cynically interpreting it. And the thing is, even if you're intending it to be a um, completely different, like, so I'm just not reading you right <laughs> yep. or charitably. So I'm actually acknowledging like, um, I'm a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any wisdom for handling binary scenarios that we always find ourselves in? So if I say it's okay for Kaepernick to kneel um, and someone says that means you're anti-military. And I'm like, no, I'm not anti-military. I'm I'm pro-military as well. So, and I'm pro-cop, and I love black people. Right. How do I handle these? Right. So, so that's where there's no space for nuance within <laughs> social media. Um, and that's like, and so there's a, there was actually a massive like when we talk about the platforms of social media, like Facebook, um, they know they are creating a an antagonistic culture. Um, they have the Facebook, this was covered in a news report, uh, that Facebook, uh, had a report on how to minimize the us versus them mentality that is emerging on Facebook and they shelved it. Um, mm. and so, um, for whatever reasons, um, I forget the rest of the, the essay. Um, so like, but point that I'm making, um, here is that, um, there's no space for nuance. Um, mm -hmm. and like, we need to have space for learning. Um, and like, especially on these very challenging, um, topics that are hard to have in person learning and doing facing anyways, it's, 
like how do you um, engage in a healthy way on social media to, to learn and grow? Um, I know one person who has had a worldview change because of Facebook. So it's not a wash, but it's only one person. <laughs> and, um, and so like he would say, he would say, and I should give him the platform to say this, but he would say it's worth engaging on and to do so rightly. Yes, Robbie's a cynic. That's his problem. And that's not <laughs> going to stop me from posting and being charitable and kind to people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. I think, you know, we all just want to feel heard and we all want Absolutely. to. And, and so we just go about it in such terrible ways, but uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> me included. You've given us a lot of um, really great materials and resources. You know, I'm going to go back and listen to this and just like, have a pen and paper in hand so I can write down all the titles and authors. Um, one of the questions is, you know, what uh, thinkers, Christian or otherwise, uh, do you admire most? Um, so if there's, you know, you know, um, not even just related to the topic of like any modern issues we're having, um, mm-hmm. what are just some, what are some of your favorite thinkers uh, to read that you can leave us with? Yeah. So I'm actually um, unoriginal on this point. Um, but I really do uh, deeply value and appreciate, uh, Tim Keller's ministry. Mm. Um, and that was because, uh, he was a mentor to one of my mentors. Um, and so I got to, and like, because, because of that, that's, that's introduced me to a lot of different thoughts. uh, His book, uh, generous, generous justice, probable God, reason for God. Um, they're, they're all fantastic. Mm. And I'm blanking on the, the other one, the prequel to the reason for God. So, so like Tim Keller is definitely up there. Mm-hmm. Um, but so the other aspect to this is the other set. The second answer is that um, like I'm beginning to have friends who are, are getting published um, as one of my friends is a publisher. And so I'm actually personally really enjoying reading, um, reading their, them and their stories. Mm. So um, it's just because like, I really appreciate knowing the life and the biography behind a person. Mm-hmm. Um, so like when I mentioned Tim Keller, uh, my mentor, um, who's a professor at Westminster, Ian Duguid, um, Ian lived in Tim's basement and one time wrecked Tim's car. And mm-hmm. Tim's like, oh, it's just a car. <laughs> I'm like, it's just a car? <laughs> That's I would say. That's just totally inconsiderate. <laughs> so it's like what so like I, I and so in other words like um taking a posture of a servant um serving students um wait, wait, Tim Keller grace. was like it's just a car Is yeah that- it's just oh. a car no my mentor was like oh yikes I just <laughs> oh wrecked my, gosh. my professor's car oh okay my bad so yeah so um yeah so Tim Keller's up there do you yourself aspire to any writing so I actually have um I contributed to a book that's coming out should be in like a week too. Um, it's called Christ in the time of Corona. And I wrote on, um, preaching to a camera and not a congregation. Yeah. So, so it's called eye contact. So that that sounds interesting. Actually. I think that that I would love to to read more about that. Christ in the time of Corona. Uh, where can we find it and who's the publisher? So the publisher is white blackbird books, same publisher to, uh, heal us Emmanuel. Mm-hmm. Um, the editor is Josh uh, Burdett. He's the uh, pastor of formation at Christ Presbyterian Church in Santa Barbara, California. And you'll be able to find it exclusively at Amazon. 
Well, we, we think the world of you and Westchester mm-hmm. Ironworks, we think um, couldn't have had a, a better, you know, group of people to do the gospel with, to live it out. And we're so thankful that you keep us on our toes with uh, swag, you know, that you're always pushing the envelope of what looks cool. And we're trying to keep up over here, but um but you have a podcast. <laughs> we have a podcast and we are going to promote the heck out of this one because because <laughs> you did some good stuff here and we're looking yeah. forward to your voice getting heard out there. So, um, yeah. yeah, so we'll, we'll definitely have some, we need some show notes with all these books as well. Uh, so we'll yeah. get Owen on that. Yeah. But um, so to sign off here, Shana, what should we say? I don't know. Uh, Robbie, do you have a, do you have a benediction for us? Yeah, give us a benediction. On the spot. On the spot. I'm trying to think of a good word. Um, a good word. The sending that we use, uh, like, is let us go forth to love our world as those who are loved by God. Mm. Um, so that's what I'll stick with. So it's a it's a it's a gem. It is. So. All right. Well, yeah.